Okay, so yeah, thanks everyone. It's nice to nice to chat, uh, and this of course is just an informal chat about ideas regarding uh, in investing. Uh, it's no advice, no nothing like that. Just uh, I guess uh, if you guys could maybe just tell me a little bit about your thoughts in, in and his sort of history within investing or or anything like that, and uh, you know, obviously don't have to say anything in detail about your current status, but um, I'm just curious. Uh, what uh, level of, of experience we might be dealing with? Um, I guess I'll start a little bit. Um, I'm an economics student, um, so I'm surrounded. Okay, you're by in charge. It. You're in charge. You're the chair. <laughs> just so I'm surrounded by by Keynesian economics, and um, it just astonishes me that they think it has any implications on the general economy. It completely breaks down if you look outside of the West. Uh, and then they try to spin that and give me investing, investing advice, which is very odd. Uh, they present arguments like the bond market and interest rates are crazy low. So if you look at the price earning ratio of S&P 500, it's still actually reasonable. Cool. But if you look at the amount of money being printed and the inflation in the asset market, it doesn't feel reasonable to me. So I'm looking for cheaper countries, uh, especially Russia. Russia is very cheap because they're not very favored in the global economy. So they have price earning ratios that are a lot lower than the West. Right. Are, are most of the econ students interested in that, uh, in that kind of stuff? Um, my classmates seem very closed off. They, the only thing they seem to be able to do is to fill in the Keynesian formulas and think for themselves. It's right. very odd. Right. <laughs> right. They don't even, like I asked a few of them, they don't even know the difference between the Chicago school and the Austrian school. So. Well, that I don't doubt. I mean, the fact that they've been shielded off from both those schools seems to be kind of almost inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we don't even talk about how the M3 money supply has been inflated by like like 80% in one year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the whole work earnings thing has just been completely shattered these days because now it's like, well, why, why would anyone have a job? I mean, we do really, really well with the economy shut down. <laughs> it's just uh -huh. kind of a weird thing. Like the guy, like your neighbor who sits by the pool all day and you don't sort of get that he's building it, like just running up his credit cards and you're like, hey, well, I'm a sucker for going to work. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, so you've got Peter Schiff, uh, and he's been kind of beating the war drums on inflation for about eight years. Smart guy. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I feel like he's actually missing something, because when the economy collapses, they're going to have to write off a lot of debt. And in this modern economy, debt is actually money. So they'll be actually destroying a lot of money when the debt gets canceled. So I think when the economy goes down, it could take many more years. Who knows? They've kind of mastered being able to keep this going at this point. Um, okay, so I, I, I hate to sound overly retarded and destroy my reputation as a remotely intelligent guy, but I'm, I've never been afraid to you know, ex yeah, say, explain it to me like I'm five years old. Yeah. Um, so debt is money. I mean, I've heard that, and I, I sort of get the general idea, uh, but you know, you're, you're fresh off the econ stuff. 
Uh, so can you break it down uh, again? You know, imagine that I'm explaining to my daughter when she's half her age. <laughs> well, I'm not done studying for my test yet, <laughs> but I'll try. So, oh, this is the test, man. This is yeah. it. There's nothing yeah, else. So what happens is when you take when you take out a mortgage, um, it's um, the money doesn't exist, but you go to the bank and they approve your loan. Like four hundred thousand of new money is just created. So if you were to default on your mortgage, the four hundred thousand you borrowed from the bank actually gets destroyed. So um, the new monetary system—I um, forgot the term in English—but they actually see taxation as destroying money and spending as creating it. Right, because you go to the bank, you say, I want $400,000. And then they say, here's your $400,000. But it's not money that they have, that they have from other depositors, which is like the old way of banking, right? Or the sane way of banking. They just say, Mm -hmm. oh, here's your $400,000. And that money. So what are the mechanics by which it's created? I mean, I assume they don't just type whatever they want into their their own account. I mean, what are the legal mechanics or, or the... I, I dare say it's probably not physical, but the mechanics by which the debt is is uh, is converted into money. It's a really good question. Um, I don't know it in detail because I'm in Europe, and here it happens through um, through the European Central Bank, and they they approve it uh, for the uh, to the national banks, and it gets put on the on their on those banks' balance sheets, and it's guaranteed by the European Central Bank. So it's just, you you say, I want a $400,000 loan, and then they just say, oh, you now have $400,000 as an asset, because this, and and I I assume that the asset is also the interest with some probably discount for the potential for defaulting, but they just say to the bank, oh, you now have a $400,000 asset, which is the money that this guy now owes you, but the bank didn't subtract anything from their asset ledger in order to lend the money, right? Because if if I want to lend a friend $1,000, I have to subtract $1,000 from whatever I have. And, and give that friend the money. So I, I, by lending my friend $1,000, I haven't actually increased my net wealth. But your argument, or what you're saying, is that when the bank lends $400,000, they don't subtract it from anywhere else. It just becomes an addition to their asset. Exactly. That's exactly how right. it works. I got it. OK. okay so, I got so, it. so when the economy goes downhill and all the debt gets destroyed, that's going to lead to massive deflation. Uh, maybe the def- deflation actually is only local on the asset market but it it could transfer over to 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 the rest of the economy and all right so we're now at the yeah. at the fuzzy edges again for me so yeah, sorry to be, be completely retarded but uh, so uh, so okay let's say that the guy can't pay back the 400,000 right so he defaults and this happened of course in 0708 right so he defaults on on the 400,000 yeah so now the bank has to subtract that as an asset, right? So it, it got a free asset by lending 400,000. The asset can't be paid back. Let's just say it's the first month or whatever to make it simple. So they now have to subtract $400,000 as, um, as an asset, right? Because they can't collect the loan. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but they're not, they haven't actually touched any of the money they have from real depositors at this point, right? The, the fake money was created, the fake money is yeah. now destroyed. Um, and I suppose that has an effect on reported GDP or whatever it is, but it's not like the bank's original assets or the money that's put in. But don't they have to have, as part of their loaning, uh, a certain amount of uh, assets to, to be yeah. 
kept as a proportion of that loan. I know sometimes it's pretty low in terms of percentages, but it has to have some relationship to their actual deposits, right? Yeah, so um, so it's a very small percentage. So for every like $100 they can print out of thin air, they actually need to keep around like 33 cents. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And um, so when they don't meet that coverage... 0.3%? I thought, I thought 3%. I was going to say 3%. Oh, that's too low. <laughs> that's got to be for like trading houses or whatever. But no, it's 0.3%? Well, um, you can't take me as fact because I've learned about so many different banks in so many different countries. I can't actually remember which one it is. So yeah, low though. My knowledge Some, is yeah. not good though. So in, uh, in one country, it's, it's that. And they continuously uh, go below it. And um, they don't really do much about it. But when the central bank pokes them like, hey, you need to have your coverage ratio, they just borrow more money to reach it. <laughs> from the central bank? Um, no, from other banks usually. Uh, right. No, and this is like I did a presentation years ago on the European Union about how, well, you have to, in order to be in the European Union, you can't run deficits of, I can't remember what it was, some percentage of, of your GDP, 6% six, six or something like that. And of course, everybody just blew past that, and no one, no one did anything about it. Absolutely, it's uh, it's crazy. Wow. Anyhow, so... now the Keynesians they think this is perfectly sensible, right? This is this is good management. This is good stewardship. Yeah. So, uh, what I recently learned is, so we've got a GDP formula in the Keynesian world. It's like um, uh, saving minus investment plus consumption plus uh, export minus import plus government spending. Is Wait, is this going to be in the exam? <laughs> okay, we well, don't need to, to remember know. anything, actually. I just so need to just... know whether I can gap out on this particular part or whether I need to go ahead. So, the, so we just have this GDP formula, and it's uh, it's algebra, basically high school algebra with just uh, variables. Hmm. And so what the Keynesians did, they played around with the, with the algebra and simplified the formula down. So government spending equals consumer savings. So they did like a bunch of algebra to change that formula. And they said, okay, we mathematically, this is sound. So government spending with minus something equals consumer savings. But playing around with economic variables, like, it's crazy to assume that it has any causal explanatory value for the real economy. Because think about oh, it, the government spending means, more so... money doesn't... Yeah, yeah. The government spending Sorry, more money will not make you save more or less. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, so uh, when I was in the business world, we used to, I, I used to just call this spreadsheet business plan. Yeah. Which is, uh, well, you know, my investors would like it if we could make $10 million this year. So let me create this complicated spreadsheet that gets me there. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, um... <laughs> and, and let me studiously avoid, avoid any input from the people who actually produce the product we sell. Um, and um, people, people tinkering around with spreadsheets and thinking that they have anything to do with actual tangible reality has always struck me as a completely platonic, deranged, dissociated exercise in fraud and manipulation. Just <laughs> be perfectly honest about it. And, because what would happen is the business uh, idiots would do their spreadsheets, they'd hand them over to the people who represented the investors, and then I would be on the hook for delivery. And uh, they got lots of bonuses, and I got lots of 80-hour uh, weeks. And, 
yeah, chasing spreadsheets uh, or, or thinking that the spreadsheets define reality is, is pretty rough. Yeah, that's very common to see. <laughs> right. So um, what about other people? I mean, if you wanted, if you, you know, you can just listen in or if you wanted to jump in, I'm just sort of curious uh, what people, uh, what people have in their experience back. What are your resumes? Tell me. So uh, have you guys been following this uh, Wall Street bets GameStop thing where they're trying to do these uh, short squeezes and, and the, uh, the silver question, which seems to be kind of open-ended at the moment? Have you guys been following that at all? And feel free to jump in if you have already talked and nobody else is talking. That's totally fine. I've no go ahead, Liz. Yeah, so they're they're saying, oh, the Wall Street guy, the Wall Street bets guys are gonna totally uh, drive up the price of silver to 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 shaft the big banks and the big big trading firms. And it turns out that the big banks and big trading firms are the ones who actually have the positions there. So they're just using that rumor mill to try and drive up the price of silver, which you know seems to be working. It's up like eleven percent today. But if it's um, if it's a predatory or um, manipulated piece of disinfo, uh, it seems kind of not ideal. Yeah, and and so I've certainly been following some of the um, some of the chats, and it does it does seem to be the case that. The and it's hard to know who's who, obviously, right? It's the fog of war, right? But some of the Wall Street guys seem like, no, 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 silver is a distraction, it's a piece of diff info, blah, 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 blah. We don't want to have anything to do with that. And, um, uh, there, of course, everybody's jumping in to talk crypto, which, uh, is not really what they want to be doing right now because crypto purchases or sales don't really do the kind of damage to the large firms that it seems that they want to do. So, but yeah, I, I don't. It, it does seem to be kind of disinfo that the Reddit crowd is taking a name at silver at the moment. What do you guys think? Um, it's uh, it's just as bad as a disinfo campaign as as the election. Uh... Well, hey, hey, let's not let's not get too personal about that because that's <laughs> that's pretty heavy guns, man. It's important as the election. No, do do you think it is? Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Reddit tracking this, and no one talked about silver and then at sunday they start beating the war drums on silver meanwhile melvin capital and uh citadel owns options on silver and some other things it's uh it's crazy absolutely everyone on reddit disagrees there's even posts about hey they're baiting you hold gamestop um and i just want to say amc they're still talking about right yeah amc is a part but their attitude on reddit is they want to focus on gamestop because yeah, it's kind of like fighting a two-front war against the establishment. That's um, very tricky. I just want to mention the morale on Reddit is absolutely insane. Uh, I usually think looking at the morale is a pretty decent indicator of who's going to win. All the people on Reddit are pumped up. <laughs> They're spamming emotes, posts, memes. Everyone's holding. It's absolutely crazy. Everyone's joining in. No one seems to mind their losses anymore. It's literally just uh, just a Joker movie watching it burn. That really does seem to be the case. And it's like vengeance for the destruction of their father's and family's livelihood in the 0708 thing, as I sort of talked about on a show the other day. Uh, that seems to be pretty, you know, I'm, I'm willing to burn. Uh, it's like the, uh, the economic uh, suicide vest, so to speak, right? Uh, that they're willing to blow up even their own small assets uh, or value in order to take down some of these larger firms, right? 
exactly. The the economic suicide fest term actually gets used quite a bit. Then right, it gets right. it usually gets um, talked about in relation to the to the person whose life was destroyed, who's living in his mother's basement, spending his two thousand COVID check, taking down the establishment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, it's sorry. Somebody else was going to say something. I thought I had somebody else pop in. You can't, yeah, you can't win against. I, I, w- I wouldn't even say it's nihilism. I don't know. I don't know exactly if there's a good word for it uh, in English. There probably is in German, but uh, I don't know. But you, you can't win against that kind of stuff because the people at the top have a huge amount to lose, and the people at the bottom have nothing to lose and and have a visceral hatred. You know, the people at the top have a love for money and power, but the people at the bottom have a visceral hatred and nothing to lose. And um, it's the uh, you know, it's the it's the religious fundamentalist versus the sensible capitalist, so to speak, in terms of the, how far they're willing to go. Or you could really say it's the atheist versus the Christians in a way, or the atheist versus the Muslims or whatever it is, because the atheists are like, well, there's nothing for me after death. So I'm going to be pretty careful about staying safe. Whereas some of the more religious people are like... <laughs> rush rush gloriously into the arms of my deity uh and and they have a certain less uh, regard for survivability and um in in that conflict uh it tends to be uh the most the most dug in or the the people who who care about their resources less and and it's interesting because it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see which wins out in other words is it going to be the nothing to lose revenge-driven crowd who win, though they have no access to political power, or the profiteers who win who have access to political power. In other words, is political power going to be enough to overturn the ideological, nothing-to-lose motivation of the Reddit crowd? It's going to be really interesting. Um, I think it's up to the moral standards of the SEC. Oh no. No, yeah. no, no. Please don't say that. No. <laughs> no. Hang on. I just have to take my head out of the toilet for a moment. Uh, just, it just happens when you say that. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Because um, the SEC doesn't, they don't even, as far as I know, like all of this, this paper silver, you know, that there's many, 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 many multiples of silver being traded um, on this. Apparently, this is not allowed, but the SEC never enforces it. And, uh, I, I don't know. The SEC. I mean, the entire apparatus of the government seems to be going after meme makers, not um, not this. Right? So <laughs> exactly, um, that doesn't seem to be. But I think I think for, I, I, from the redditor's perspective, it seems to me that one of the reasons they're sort of, they can't lose, they literally can't lose, because let's say that the, uh, the 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 Wall Street goes to the regulators and to the government and gets all of this stuff shut down and and all of that. Well, they've still won, because then, even though they've lost money, which they don't particularly care about, it's not like you, I mean, you can't get a whole life started with $2,000, right? All you can do is stave off the inevitable decay, and, and I think a lot of people there understand that $2,000 is coming from nothing anyway, so it's not even real money. It's just going to drive up inflation or whatever. And so I think... They can't, they can't, because they've already won, because now people are saying, oh, well, when, when, when Robin Hood and other places stopped the buys and only allowed the sells, that was market manipulation. So even if they lose everything, 
which isn't that much, they have exposed the corruption of the market in a pretty powerful way. Right. I also think it's, and, and hopefully you guys will not think it's too insane to say this, could be, it's always a possibility, but I also think that this is a strong reaction to Trump's failure to control mass immigration. Because everybody knows that mass immigration is driven by the money printing, right? It's by, driven by, because people come here for free stuff or come to, to the West for free stuff, and the free stuff is, is uh, only kept available through the corruption of the monetary system. And if they take down or, or, or do significant damage to the economic system, it's, it's the wall part two or the wall, the backup plan B for the wall, if that makes any sense. In other words, if you can't create a barrier, you can reduce the incentives, if that makes sense. Um, I think there's uh, quite a few people who think that way. Um, the, the subreddit is very apolitical, though. But it might be um, might be a part of it. Well, it's interesting that it comes right after the loss of Trump, right? Yeah, very interesting. However much we want to put that loss in quotes, right? Um, it, it is interesting to me that this strategy comes right after the, um, I mean, right after the loss uh, of Trump, and uh, right after. Uh, well, it really starts starts in around Biden's inauguration and all that. So, the, I think that the idea that this. Sorry, go ahead. The setup seemed to have been there for for a long time with the excessive shorting and the and the information, but I think the um, the morale and then just the subconscious of people was kind of in the right mood for this to take off with Trump losing. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So so Trump loses, you can't discuss any potential election fraud. Yeah. Uh, free speech is destroyed. Like people like me and and others, and I guess even Trump being completely deplatformed. And so <laughs> it, 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 the time for arguments passed, right? Okay, so, so then what do you do? Right? What do you do when you, can't, when you don't believe that there's any political solution or any voting solution to, uh, to get what you want out of, out of politics? Well, you know, if you, uh, if you can't fix the house, you go for the foundations, right? Yeah, you uh, grasp at the straws. <laughs> Right, right, and I think I think that's and and if that's the case, then uh, people will uh, will go to um, financial extremes to to ensure they get what they want because you know the system doesn't work anymore. And with suppression of free speech, uh, what a lot of people perceive as suppression of voting, and that, that Biden was installed by the deep state, as people think, uh, then um, yeah, I think that this is the next this is the next step. And of course, you know, I mean, the idiots uh, and and criminals who did this ridiculous storming of the Capitol. It's not like that's not a path anybody wants to go down who's got half a brain. So I think that this legal, I mean, this is kind of like an ostracism, right? This is just finding the way that the system benefits the rich and colluding to have it benefit someone other than the rich. And yeah. uh, of course, the Marxists should be loving it, but of course they hate it because <laughs> you need this kind of crap for the money to go to the Marxists. Uh, a very interesting uh, point I've been thinking about is all these hedge funds and giant companies at the top, um, it's kind of weird how it works because a big part is just people's 401ks. Uh, it's a giant part of the ownership. So because the ownership is so diluted, it's actually the man managers of those companies who have the control and who are siphoning the productivity, not even the owners directly, although there's plenty of that too. 
Can you break that down a little more? I just I, I got the first thread and then dropped the second. So if you could just do it again. Okay. So the largest shareholder of something like McDonald's is just ordinary people uh, with 401ks, uh, pension funds. Uh, yeah, 401ks and pensions funds and private investment. Those are the ownership of the giant companies. Sure, there's a lot of rich people in there, but they don't seem to go past the 51% ownership anymore. So when you hurt a hedge fund like this, you actually hurt a lot of pension funds and a lot of people 401ks. But people now realize how corrupt it is anyway. They don't care for even a single percent how much they hurt people 401ks or pension funds because it's bullshit anyway. Okay, so that that's where I sort of missed what you were saying. And, and you, I mean, I, I think you're right, but I would say that if you're going to look at ownership, saying that Joe Blow down the street owns McDonald's stock because he participates in a 401k that has some ownership, I don't think that it's particularly valid to say that he himself owns the stock because he's not buying and selling that stock. It's the 401k manager, right? It's the, it's the hedge fund manager. It's whoever, right? It's that dude or dudess who's up there making the buy and sell decisions. He, I wouldn't say that he probably doesn't even know down to much detail what the composition of his 401k is. So, Exactly. The people don't know. Um, and that's why I, I said the managers have the power now. Right, right. I see. Now I understand. Yeah. So it's the people who are buying and selling on behalf of the millions yeah. who, uh, who, have, who have that real power, right? Mm -hmm. And they make a lot, man. It's, it, you know, they, if they shave a percent or two or three off the, the buying and selling, um, I mean, that shaves down a lot of profits in, in real terms, and they're making quite a fortune. Uh, they're buying really and selling rich. Stuff. Yeah. They're almost like in a new, um, a new elite class, the managerial class, so to speak. Yeah, it's the new aristocracy, right? Yeah, although above them are like the wills, the people's names we probably don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and the, because we know how hereditary IQ is and that you'd need some high IQ for this kind of stuff, it's almost like they're a hereditary aristocracy to some degree. I mean, I know there's regression to the mean and all of that, but uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, regression to the mean can be counted quite a bit with good contacts and the right schools, right? Absolutely. That's completely how it works. That's um, basically the Ivy School MBA uh, track at his company. I only, this is sort of way back in my business days, but um, there was a guy I worked with. He was sort of a contemporary of mine. And he just, I mean, there's not a lot of people that I meet and just viscerally just really dislike. Uh, you know, the pompous and, and windbaggery and, and all of that. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones did a great job of portraying that kind of guy in uh, the old Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive. But, um, oh no, maybe he was playing a lawyer. Anyway, so uh, anyway, I just didn't like, didn't know anything about this guy. I just, just really, really disliked him. And again, that's actually kind of rare. I have a positive view of most people, but this guy just, oh, there's only been a couple of people in my life. And my the, the guy who managed us both uh, kind of demanded, he, he got that I didn't like this guy. And I guess the guy, maybe the guy didn't like me or whatever. Right? But he demanded that we go out for lunch and, and get to know each other. And, uh, <laughs> you know, normally when you get to know someone, maybe you see some bit of their rough edges come off or, or the things that you just, but I actually walked out of this guy, uh, this lunch, uh, disliking this guy even more because um, he was a dangerously empty person who was propped up because he'd been to Harvard and he came from a very wealthy background. And he, but he just didn't have anything intelligent to add. In other words, 
he was coasting on his credentials to the point where he thought the credentials made him smart and he didn't actually have to work, whereas I was in the software field with a degree in history. And so I knew that I had to work really hard to, to, be, to make my opinions valid and all of that. And um, so this credential stuff, uh, I, I've rarely met uh, anyone quite that dense somebody who or somebody who has had a high such a high opinion of himself based upon so little i mean i have no problem with people who have a high opinion of themselves if they they based it on on real things but yeah this guy was uh, this credentialism stuff that's just something that popped into my mind just how how really it, it it's to me it's like a sign of a negative now like if if somebody were to come on the show and the first thing they would say is like oh i have a degree from harvard i'd be like uh oh <laughs> You know, here comes the the treacle championship of of propaganda and and pomposity. And I'm smart because I went to Harvard. And I mean, I know what Harvard standards are like these days, especially with diversity. It's it's uh, terrible. So yeah, this this credentialism stuff is uh, it is the new aristocracy that you can your kids are likely to be smarter than the average. And no matter what, though, you can usually buy their buy them into uh, elite schools, which give them some sort of um, cachet with, with the masses or, or at least other elites as a whole. And now, of course, it, to me, the credentialism stuff is a complete mark that you, you, you're just not original. You're absolutely not original because if you were original, if you did think for yourself, they'd never give you that degree. In fact, they barely let you anywhere near the campus. So to me, it's just a rubber stamp of ultimate conformity and an empty person stuffed full with the vacuous syllables of endless propaganda. So anyway, sorry, a, a totally side, side rant here, but... Uh, um, yeah, that credentialism stuff just reminded me of, of that guy, uh, and he didn't actually last particularly long, because I I kept, um, you know, when I dislike someone, um, what you do is you just keep track of their failed predictions, right? Every time this guy makes a prediction, you you note it down, and then the next meeting, if that prediction hasn't come true, uh, then you say, so in the last meeting you said this, this is what actually happened. Can you explain uh, the gap between these two things, right? And you just you just keep hammering people. Who, who's there, and his predictions would fail. Like in the same way the Keynesians guys' predictions would fail. And you just keep hammering that until uh, he just started to lose his temper more and more. And because I was calm and curious, um, he looked crazy and I looked sane and he got fired. So anyway, but um, that uh, credentialism is, is, is pretty rough. And that's what's so fascinating about this Reddit thing, there's no credentialism there, right? Nobody even knows who these people are, let alone what education they have. But they, and they usually have a pretty good way of explaining things. Uh, that, and they have a way of whipping the troops together, right? Like hold, uh, and and stay strong, and and uh, all of that. There's a great meme where the woman is wailing, you know, sell GameStop, we can be millionaires, and the the bearded guy is like, no, they must pay. And man, it's it's tough to fight that stuff. It really is. Um, do you now? So if there's anything else people wanted to. Uh, mention or, or talk about with that with that topic, I'd certainly be, be interested to hear. But I also did want to uh, divvy over a little into the land of crypto. No. So, um, are you guys over in the land of land of crypto at all? I just wanted and to say that. Yeah, the, these, this this Reddit morale thing reminds me a, a, a bit of Gamergate. Um, but as for crypto, I'm I'm not in it. I don't I don't really understand it. <laughs> I I know why, but I don't know the mechanics behind it. It's very complicated. But that's not at all. Now, do you mean all crypto or just like the altcoins or whatever? No, just just crypto. 
Does somebody want to hey, take a stab at explaining to our new friend hey. here, the Lando Crypto? Oh, yeah. Hey, Steph, I wanted to chime in. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are, have more experience and are uh, more successful than I am in crypto, and I'm happy to you know, take a side seat if they step up. But uh, I've got a lot of experience, and I'm happy to help any way I can. Go for it. <clears throat> Uh, well, I mean, uh, does this gentleman have any question, or I can go over kind of my uh, my history? I would say just so intro someone... to crypto, intro to crypto as a whole. Oh, okay. Well, I guess uh, for uh, for someone in general, an intro to crypto, I would say that it's a, uh, a a voluntary monetary system as opposed to an involuntary one. That's the the biggest <laughs> the biggest selling point. Uh, I know when it comes to the MMT stuff. And the way people are describing what money is, you know, I come back to personally, like, you know, was money supposed to be something that transferred? They goes, money is something that transfers value. I'm like, okay, well, how can you value something, or how can it be something of value when you've got a gun gun to your head to use it? You know, so is it really money at all, or is it some kind of negative value or anti-value that we're forced to exchange in? But I mean, that's that's you know, going into a little more uh, the philosophy of money stuff. Um, uh, it's, okay, so I'm trying to think of if anyone has any questions, uh, please chime in because I'm trying to think of like how I could be helpful in describing crypto in this way because I've just I've been in the world so long I I kind of assume that everyone's got a general or some kind of exposure and understanding of it. No, no, I think <clears throat> this is why I wanted to have a conversation with people because, um, I, like uh, having some comprehension of the crypto world, is, I think is pretty important because when it comes to the fall of fiat. You need, um, you need a resource that's valued, that's divisible, that's transferable, and uh, limited, right? Limited. Now, uh, crypto, and I speak mostly to the Bitcoin side of things, but crypto, uh, so Bitcoins are created by solving mathematical problems. And every time Bitcoin is created because a mathematical problem has been solved, that mathematical problem gets harder. And so... This is why they call it crypto mining for Bitcoin, right? Because you need, uh, and it's usually GPUs seem to be pretty good at solving these algorithms, but you need uh, to invest electricity and hardware into creating Bitcoins. And then at around 22 million Bitcoins, the equation becomes impossible to solve. And that's it. That's it for new Bitcoins. The Bitcoins, of course, are infinitely, well, not quite infinitely, but for all practical purposes, they're pretty much infinitely divisible into the smallest unit, which I think is called a Satoshi. And so, yeah, it's, it's a public blockchain, a public database. And people make money by validating Bitcoin transactions, and they make money by mining uh, Bitcoins. And the last bit, I mean, my guess is that the last Bitcoin probably won't ever be, <laughs> because it would just take so long to... But it, it definitely is limited. It definitely has value to people, of course. It is divisible, and of course... It is amazingly transferable because if you know your Bitcoin passphrase, you can saunter around the world and and always have access to your Bitcoins with nothing uh, written down or okay. anything like that. So, no, that, that's incredibly like, that's incredibly helpful. That gives me an idea of like which direction to uh, to stab on in. Like, okay, so I can think back for myself. Like, what were the first couple things I found out about Bitcoin? That uh, that got me really excited about like when did I when did I make that switch? Where I was like, oh, I get this, and I trust it. You know, it's not just a bunch of like you know, it's not someone doing it for the lulls on the internet, and they're gonna laugh about taking my money. You know, um, 
Uh, so one of the aspects of Bitcoin that really, uh, crypto in general, that uh, gave me a lot of confidence in it was finding out that the code, the technology behind it is open source. Which means that, okay, so someone like me can't go and open up the code and understand what's going on there. But uh, anyone who's competent uh, in, uh, in the coding world can review this code themselves and line by line find out exactly what it's doing, what it should be doing, and th you know, things of that nature. And find Yeah, it's not a black box. Like, Absolutely. So they, the people writing this code could either could be malicious or they could be incompetent or just, you know, well-meaning, but, you know, missed something. Like when you're writing this, uh, this kind of complicated software, yeah, it's easy to make mistakes. As a matter of fact, inevitably, you will. And there have been bugs in the Bitcoin code. But because it's public, anyone can review it. And, and make corrections and things like that. And so that's, uh, that's if and you so are I just wanted thinking... to point out as well that the, the more value is embedded in Bitcoin, the greater and higher is the incentive to make sure that the code is on the up and up. So given yeah, that there's you know, so much money in Bitcoin now, uh, it seems impossible that a fundamental bug would escape. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, you could look at it as like there's what? There's hundreds of billions of dollars in Bitcoin. Well, now... There's okay. Obviously, it's not hundreds of billions of dollars because as soon as someone compromises it, the market will find out, and uh, because they'll see these, they'll see the Bitcoin uh, just appearing out of nowhere, and then people will immediately target that and figure out what's going on. But long, long story short, if someone can compromise Bitcoin, there is a hundreds of billions of dollar incentive to compromise Bitcoin. And the fact that it hasn't happened only validates Bitcoin even more as being something, or crypto in general, as being something incredibly uh, secure and resilient. And uh, Well, and, and of course, a... if, you're com if you're concerned about compromised currency, fiat is the last place you'd go, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, okay, so the fact that it's open source is one of the things that gave me a great deal of confidence in it. There's, there's that, and like, you know, look, compare it to uh, fiat institutions, and like even how how open source is that? How much do you get to have an understanding of what goes on? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, no, listen. To be fair, for eight hundred thousand dollars, you can have Janet Yellen drop by your place too. So. <laughs> fair. So, um, all right. So the the fact that it's open source. Trying to think back, like what were the things that really, really hit it home for me. Um, Sorry, I had, a, I had a thought a, a little while ago, but I lost it. Um, so, so, oh yeah, no, no, I remember what I was going to say. If you are on your own looking to invest in crypto, um, I would absolutely make sure that it's an open source project. I have seen, and at, at first, you know, I thought that it'd be like common sense and nobody would do it, but I've seen plenty of times that uh, people got hoodwinked by getting involved in projects that, that were not open source or said they were, but really weren't. So that's just, that's one point to, to make sure you're checking for and understanding if you are deciding to invest in a particular cryptocurrency project. Let's um, remind people, sorry, let's remind people as well about some of the limitations of Bitcoin. Uh, because the blockchain is so big, uh, it can take a while to get transactions done. Uh, it's not a coffee and a donut and a currency, as far as I can tell, which is one of the reasons like why Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold and other things with, with smaller footprints were sort of developed. So it's, uh, it's, it's, I sort of think of it like a really nimble dinosaur in that, yeah, it's transferable and so on. But even a nimble dinosaur that's very big can't turn corners too quickly. And so uh, there are some limitations, particularly for the smaller transactions, if I remember right. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the uh, the Bitcoin fork happened in 2017, and that was that was a big divide in the Bitcoin community, and uh, that was kind of personally significant for me. I was on the other side of the of the divide, and like ever well, since. Well, hang then, on. Just let's tell people what the divide is first uh, before we get into oh, the details. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So there was a divide in two different ways of solving that problem of uh, not getting the, the transactions costing too much. Because basically, there's only so much space on the blockchain to record these transactions, like who's sending their Bitcoin from who to who. And um, essentially, one party wanted to increase the amount of space on the blockchain, and the other party, other party wanted to... Uh, trans, uh, move those transactions to another layer to where they're not actually being resolved on the blockchain. They're being resolved on like a separate mechanism and then solidified back on the blockchain. And if I'm not explaining this well, I, anyone please, you know, jump in and, and take over. So they call that layer two solutions, or in this case, the lightning network uh, for, for Bitcoin Core. <clears throat> Now, Bitcoin Cash said, like, no, 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 and these are coders. They're like, there's a really simple mechanism we can do here, and we can just do this and increase the amount of transactions on the chain. It's incredibly low risk. It doesn't require all this complicated stuff, and we can keep going on as normal and focus on other things. Um, and, and essentially, they're making the argument that uh, – oh, so, what, so the Bitcoin core side says – uh, that's not the way we do it in the technological world. We tend to not try to, to uh, affect the, the base layer of something. We move it off to another uh, another layer, another mechanism, and then resolve it there and bring it back to the base layer. Sorry, that's getting a little complicated. <clears throat> but uh, so Bitcoin Core uh, didn't want to increase the blockchain size. And, and, and I mean, they've got some great, good arguments. Like, look, we're going to be recording these transactions essentially forever. Like, it's, so it kind of makes sense that you know, this is one of the most valuable things. You want to record your transaction forever on the blockchain. You might have to pay a little bit for it. You know? Whereas the other side is like, no, the technology exists to make it less than a penny. We can do this. It's not that difficult. Um, and essentially, so uh, the the Bitcoin Core side won. Uh, they won the. Market. Now, sorry, just 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 to hang on for a second, and tell me if this analogy is way off. I, I like direct analogies. So, if you've got a highway with a traffic jam, you're either going to widen the highway or you're going to create service roads, right? So to try and bleed the traffic off from the main. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the main traffic uh, highway, right? So so Bitcoin yeah. was it was traffic jammed up the like it would take hours and hours to complete a transaction, and it was pretty expensive. And yes, so, well, I, yep. so yeah, so I think that the, 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 the one idea was, well, let's get traffic off the main road, off the highway, we'll build some side roads and service roads and so on. And the other was, well, no, it's just wiping the highway. And, and that's not a perfect analogy, but that's sort of roughly where I got it in my head. That's yeah, that's kind of a good one. Maybe another way of putting it is uh, you've got this highway here. Let's let's create another means of transportation. You know, but yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to, to make. But yeah, no, the service roads analogy works. You know, one side let's let's wide the highway. The other side says no. Let's create this other. Let's create a, an under or an underground railway system. You know, take care of it. Um, so. For, for me personally, I remember getting into Bitcoin and it being advertised like, you know, for pennies or less than a penny, you can move this much value across the world. And now all of a sudden, it's cost me like $50 for a transaction and it doesn't go through for hours and hours. Now, uh, and, and 
what really kind of got my gall is that like this could have been prevented. They absolutely knew how. You know, I'm sure they had their reasons they didn't, but they it's like they just didn't he- listen to customer feedback. And it because well, the people like a, sorry, the people who were shaving value off the transaction, I imagine, would have the economic incentive to keep those transaction costs high. I mean, now it can cost thousands of dollars to do a large Bitcoin transaction. And the people who are making those thousands of dollars, they don't want the system to change because it's profitable for them and I assume that there was that and they, they would tend to be the people most embedded in the architecture. Well I, I don't know I don't think that it would cost thousands of dollars for an individual but potentially someone processing that cluster of transactions could make thousands of dollars I don't know that exact detail right now I would expect to pay uh, three to five dollars for a Bitcoin transaction you know in general like if, if the network's getting jammed good luck you know you're, you're, you're paying an obscene amount to, to get your Bitcoin through. And of course, someone on the Bitcoin core side would say, well, no, you can, you can use the Lightning Network. It's, it is practical and usable if you're like a dev and, or if you're someone who's a little technically inclined to know what you're doing, you can use the Lightning Network. Um, or you can offer so, more money to have a transaction go through faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess like from, from personally, like the other side where I come from, it's like, why are we doing these hoops and loops when you can just open you can increase the size of the blockchain, and our technology, our technology will catch up to cover the fact that it costs a little more in hardware to handle that. Like we know, like uh, Moore's law, things of that nature. We know technologically we're going to get cheaper, bigger hard drives, and you know, f- better networking and things. Uh, so, uh, so it, it kind of re- uh, seems like the old oil argument. Like we're going to run out of oil. You know, it's like no, we're going to find different solutions as time goes on. You know. Does that make sense? It oh, does, and um, but but still, I mean, for for larger tra- look, a, a larger transaction, I don't know, like a couple of hundred thou, for it to take a, an hour or two and, and cost you some money, it's usually not the end of the world because Lord knows, unless you're applying to some ransom demand, you probably don't need that money transferred in twelve seconds or something. So, <laughs> um, but 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 Bitcoin is not good for the coffee and donut scenario. Uh, that's Absolutely. my Absolutely. contention, no, 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 and so yeah. So the consumer, the consumer side of Bitcoin, is not going to work in in its current formation. Like the idea that you can just go, oh, I want to pay a toll with Bitcoin. It's like, okay, wait till tomorrow, and you're you're good to good to keep driving, right? So uh, exactly. that, that I think yeah. is one of the challenges that other cryptos are trying to solve. And some of those cryptos are derivatives. You're talking about the 2017 fork. Uh, that's when uh, Bitcoin Cash mirrored Bitcoin, if I remember rightly, and mm-hmm. um, people used Bitcoin Cash, uh, much lower transaction fees, much faster response. Is that right? Uh, I, I, if I recall correctly, it's a, it, it resolves in about the same amount of time. Sorry, I don't, I don't know that detail, uh, but it is faster. Uh, I'm sorry, it, uh, it is a lot cheaper. Uh, that's that's a contradictory statement. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, resolves yeah, no, in the same right. amount of time, but faster. No, no, no. I, sorry, I, I, I misspoke. It is cheaper uh, for, for every transaction, like less than a penny. Um, right, right. And So, and, yeah, and so guess, that could be a coffee yeah. and donut scenario. So uh, Bitcoin at the moment remains uh, generally a store and transfer of larger value items. And, of course, remember, just for people who didn't see my sort of famous presentation from back in the day on Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is not just about uh, money. It, it's not. It, it, it's like saying that um, the internet is just about text. Well, of course, originally it kind of was a hypertext markup language and all. But uh, Bitcoin is a public ledger. Bitcoin can include contracts. It can include uh, ownership scenarios. It can be programmed so that 
if your obituary shows up in a particular website that your bitcoins are automatically transferred to your next of kin uh and uh so you you can copyright what? stuff uh, establish your, your copyright ownership on the public blockchain so it, it's a lot more than just cash it's a whole public ledger uh, Steph, so like, and I, I remember that uh, that video. It was a wonderful video. I appreciate it. It you know helped you know even more make me confident in crypto and, and jump in. Um, this is here comes but, the butt, right? <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. That's fine. Uh, but I don't know that that all is necessarily the case because uh, that's back when when Bitcoin was the crypto and it was going to be more things like that and now it's like no this is you know the store of value kind of thing oh so um, they did they toss aside the uh the internet of money stuff and now it's just bucks I, baby i don't yeah i don't want to say that that's certain but if i recall they removed some of the op codes or some code related to that to that stuff and i could oh, good be to wrong know. so someone please correct me this is one of the things that kind of disappointed me about so now i'm i'm like crypto is going to do it let a thousand flowers bloom uh, like please forgive the the commie reference but i think you get the idea the sentiment <laughs> um crypto is going to do it i don't know that there's going to be i don't think that there's one in particular that they've all got their part to play well, my guess is, and I appreciate that update because I haven't gone delved into the architecture of Bitcoin in a while, but I imagine that if there was not much demand for it and it was significant overhead, then simply supply and demand would shave that, those, those uh, features and functions off the blockchain. Sure, sure, yep. Um, but it was… Uh, Bitcoin is, yeah. uh, sorry, Bitcoin is, is, uh, is not super private. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, so, I mean, there's ways that you can do it. There's, I think there's algorithms that can have you scatter uh, Bitcoin purchases and then aggregate them for transfers and stuff like that. But, yes. uh, you know, if, if people know you're Bitcoin Addy, uh, they can see and trace uh, every every flow. So it's to some degree, uh, depending on whether you make, whether you take pains to to hide it, it's a public bank account. Yes, I have, uh, like, I've worked for exchanges, and I know the software they have, and yeah, they can look at the blockchain and see, you know, people's names associated with different accounts and stuff like that. So it is not that hard. Uh, Bitcoin is not private unless you are going to great lengths to make it so. So don't, yeah, yeah don't and, and even yeah. if you are, I mean, I don't know, I, I would just generally, my particular assumption um, I mean, this is my particular assumption in general and has been ever since the beginning. I assume that every single email, every, everything I do at some point may become public. That, that's all. That's all <laughs> I, you know, I just, just always speak like everything's public. And so from a, a blockchain perspective, I would just make the assumption that it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty public. Uh, and again, I mean, unless you're some, you know, deep criminal in which case you're probably not on this call i'm sure you aren't but um uh, so yeah i mean i would just say just 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 remember that it's uh it's not 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 privacy centric to put it mildly yes yep yep um so yeah there are some particular coins that offer different features for privacy and for better or, or and some are better than others of course and some seem to succeed pretty well like recently monero is one of the most popular uh, yeah monero is pretty good for privacy as far as i know yes and and the irs it issued like a six hundred thousand uh, dollar reward for anyone who could crack monero which is kind of laughable given monero's you know market cap <laughs> uh, but that just shows that's an admission that they can't you know, or at least it, it seems to indicate that they can't uh, break its uh, privacy. 
So, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that is or isn't the case. Like, you know, do your own research. If you, I, I've, I've been in this for years and I've been looking at it for years and I wouldn't pretend that my crypto is, is private like that, you know? Um, right. But now one, one of the big things about Bitcoin, and this is important to the fiat distinction and taxation, is it is quite true that you can remember a 12-word phrase. And that 12-word phrase will be essentially the key to the bank or to the vault that holds your Bitcoin. And you can cross, you can go around the world and move, you know, virtually millions of dollars, thousands of dollars, however much in Bitcoin, and no one's there to check, you know, what you have on you. <laughs> what no one, no one's there to 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 look at the the fiat bills in your suitcase or the gold bullion. That's that is a new. That's something new in, in civilization, that, uh, that someone can do that. They can move a vast amount of wealth with only the codes in their head, only, only a couple words in their head. Um, and well, and just remember that the entire modern world was built out of currency as opposed to land, because land is fixed and unmovable, and land was the source of the wealth of the aristocrats. Once capital came along, capital could be moved relatively easily back in the day across borders, and therefore countries had to start competing for better business. Um, uh, more friendly business environments, and that gave birth to modern capitalism in many ways. So the mobility of wealth, the more fixed yes. wealth is, i.e. land, the more repressive the regime. And this is why, of course, people like to restrict the movement of their citizens uh, and tax them all over the world or make it really difficult to switch locales because citizens are the new livestock and have to be kept chained to the tax farms. Yes. But this mobility so, of wealth is, is just an amazing thing. That's just the only other precedent I can think of is a transfer from land to capital in the sort of the 18th century. Which is, which is like an exponential change. And yeah, this is it's, it's what we've got now, or, or at least the change between capital and crypto. Um, uh, so, well, there was uh, a big change. But sorry, there was a big change, as you know, between uh, capital and central banking, right? So capital being um, wealth stored up in... in um, both fixed capital equipment of factories and so on, and gold and banks with real currency. Uh, and then there was fiat, which is very transferable, but because it's not tethered to anything uh, real, is so ridiculously corruptible. So I, I think that the Bitcoin thing comes out in response to the corruptibility. And it's kind of a funny thing because the same tyrannical impulses that drive things like uh, deplatforming and so on, and the same tyrannical impulses that have people be willing to give up their freedoms in exchange for debt, right? Because people are giving up their economic freedoms in exchange for money created out of debt. But it's those same forces that are driving up the value of crypto because large institutions are looking down the tunnel of time and seeing the on-rushing on train of the fall of the US dollar as the reserve currency of the world, and which is, you know, kind of right on time. This is kind of how, how it goes historically. And uh, I think yes. people are moving into crypto because of that. Well, every time there's something, some economic, something economically goofy, I watch, you know, Bitcoin's price go up. So I remember back when I think Bitcoin was either below a hundred or below a thousand, and Cyprus, the Cyprus banks had some problem, had some deficit or whatever, and they went in and removed like seven percent of the balance in everyone's savings account. And I remember that. As soon as that happened, I'm like, okay, well, Bitcoin's going up, and and uh, within the next, it wasn't that long after that, you got a big spike in Bitcoin, and so yeah, and that, one, one, that to me, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but that's really just before I forget that I mean, that's a very interesting question, which is why I wanted to kind of talk to you guys, is that 
if this populist revolt against Wall Street goes, is the primary beneficiary going to be those in stocks or those in crypto? And I would lean towards the latter, but I'm certainly, I mean, obviously, if you hold specific stocks and buy at the, sell at the peak, I mean, obviously, you can make a lot of money. But I think that if the financial system is under a populist assault, so to speak, uh, economically speaking, then, uh, you know, I mean, I think people are going to say, well, this system has now become unpredictable and unstable. And yes, maybe I can make some money if I follow this populist thing. But the moment people start to try and profit from this Reddit rebellion, this Reddit rebellion will simply change tactics. I mean, there's a, you know, there's this call and answer thing that goes on in every particular form of combat. And so is the safe haven going to be getting into stocks, I don't think bonds so much anymore, but or, or is it going to be getting into uh, more crypto? And I guess that's the question I wanted to sort of point out. What do you guys think? That is a, that, that is a great, great uh, perspective on it. Uh, sorry, there's one point I wanted to make real quick with, uh, with, with arguments against crypto. So let's say someone says um, crypto is a threat to the state. Why would they let it exist? Why would they let it exist? And essentially because when these people steal the money from the citizens, they're going to want a secure asset to store it in that they themselves can flee. Uh, that's that's one argument. Not to say that's foolproof, uh, because it, it certainly isn't in the interest of states, but uh, that is at least an incentive in the other direction. And and we've seen that before, where uh, people official people fleeing China will use crypto, whether it's corrupt officials or not. Uh, they'll use Bitcoin to move their value. And if they were to bar general participations, uh, general citizens' participation in crypto, it would lose most of its value. And therefore, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot. That's one side of things. Yeah. Now, another side of things, which is quite interesting, and this is going off my memory, so forgive me if it's gone somewhat astray. But I remember some years ago, some politician in South Korea was uh, looking to restrict or control crypto in some particularly statist manner. And uh, he just kind of wound up dead. Yeah, because yeah. there are a lot of very I mean, listen, let's, let's be frank. There are bad people in every currency and there are some very bad people. In crypto, like there's a reason why if your files get encrypted, <laughs> you have to send your money through crypto, right, to, to get them unlocked, if that ever even works, I don't know. But, but so there's some very bad people who have a lot of money in crypto, and if politicians start to mess with crypto, uh, they really are going to be facing a kind of blowback that's going to get pretty personal, in my opinion. I think we've seen that before, and I think, uh, I think that people are pretty aware of those threats. and. Uh, you know, so on the on the plus, it's always a stick in the carrot's the best motivator for people who are amoral, right? So the the stick <laughs> is yeah, bad people will target you or your family at a very personal level if you if you uh, screw with their cryptos, uh, and B uh, you can transfer your wealth into the crypto, which will survive a currency collapse with great aplomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you, Jared. But yeah, I, I, I really think the destabilization, that, uh, yeah, the destabilization of the system is, is underway. And the Reddit thing is just one, one part of it. Because it's kind of a crusade, so to speak, um, I, it, it's, it's not going to stop. And they've also they've tasted victory, and they've got the serotonin endorphin rush of, of victory uh, in, in their goals. So I do think that the, the, they're going to keep working and trying to find chinks in the system. And Lord knows there are tons of them, right? Uh, and sorry, go ahead. I, I do have a thought on uh, on who's going uh, on uh, an argument for crypto in this. Do we go to stocks or we go to crypto in this current situation? Yeah, uh, uh, just a, an argument, not to yeah, say. Yeah, don't wait for permission, man. Just go for it. Oh, you got it. Okay, so um, 
All right, stocks versus crypto. Oh my gosh, come back. It was there. It was just with me. Come back. <laughs> uh, oh, you got hedged versus... by your own brain, man. Seriously. It's, there's a little competition up there. Um, so stocks versus crypto. Stocks versus crypto. Where do we go? Uh, oh, yes. I nope. said, yeah, uh, go ahead. Ah, sorry. It's, it's, uh, I am being betrayed. <laughs> no, no. It's just, do you know what? This, the number of times this happens to be in a show is ridiculous. Like when I'm actually doing a show, I like I, I wander so far afield. I'm like, what the hell was my original point? And every now and then, my brain would just be like, no, you know, you screwed me. I'm screwing you back. I'm not giving you the inspiration back. Too bad, man. Yes. Too bad. Too bad. I, I, know, I know that intimately. That feeling. Oh yeah. So yeah. So stocks, stocks versus crypto. Um, I think that if you, I mean, it's funny because if you go into the stocks based upon the Reddit stuff because you want to make money then the Reddit stuff will fail, right? Because the whole point of the Reddit thing is you have to be an insane investor, right? Because the whole, the whole point of the stock market is to assume, in general, sane actors. Now, nobody looks at GameStop and says, well, this stock should be 4,000% higher, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just not a... And so the system is not built for insanity uh, from a financial standpoint. And of course, these guys aren't motivated by, quote, sane, practical empirical money-making concerns. They are motivated by uh, ideological uh, vengeance purposes and, and so on, right? Like no sane person detonates themselves at a crowded square, right? <laughs> but if there's an ideological or religious purpose behind it, that's a different matter. And so I think, and this is another reason why I just wanted to talk to you guys and get your thoughts on this, but I think that the failure of the populist MAGA movement has shifted the energies, again, whether it's conscious or not, I don't know, but it's shifted the energies to, well, if we can't fix it, you know, we'll just tear it down. Like, if you guys ever owned a car so long that it's just completely impractical to keep owning it? Like, no matter what you do, you just, like I, as I said, my first car I had for like, I don't know, 13 years or something like that. I, I literally drove that thing into the ground. I mean, I had to push it into the, into the uh, dealership to get a, a different car. And, uh, uh, I think that right now, you know, like you, and what happened was I drive, it was a, it was a 98 Volvo S70 that I originally got as part of a sort of, I had car allowance from the company because I had to have a nice car to pick up clients. And I dropped it off at the dealership because the engine light was blinking and they said, oh, it needs a new this, it needs a new that, it needs to do the other. And this like 13 year old car needed like three or $4,000 worth of work. And there were already a bunch of things that weren't working with it. Um, and I was just, you know, like the half the door locks didn't work. The aerial was broken off and there were various lights and burps that I just kind of lived with. And it was like, okay, well, that's not no point, right? So I do think that where the MAGA movement is or the populist movement is, is, hey, you know, we gave it a good shot with Trump. And for a variety of factors, some of which were under Trump's control and some of which weren't, the populist movement failed uh, in, its, in its goal. And so I think... Like me, you drop the car off for repair, which is kind of like getting Trump voted in. And they come back with a $4,000 bill and you're like, oh, forget it. I'll just get a new car. And I mean, it's a silly analogy, but I think that's kind of where a lot of the populists in America are, which is, you know, hey, we, we, you know, we, dropped, we dropped democracy off at the shop, right? <laughs> and, and the bill came back Biden. And I think they're just like, okay, well, we just, we just need a new car, you know, car being the economy, America, the financial system, whatever it is that you want to call it. So if that's the case, then they're going to work to continually exploit any weaknesses 
or susceptibility to the system. I guess the, the GameStop short being the first one. And it doesn't seem to me that they're genuinely moving on silver, but we can sort of talk about that as well. But if their goal is to, to, to continue to act as agents of disruption, then you can analogize that to the insurgency movement in, say, Iraq or, or Afghanistan, where you have you know, a big organized military and then you got a bunch of guys in, in flip-flops uh, with uh, bombs in the shape of dolls or whatever they're doing, right? And uh, it's really tough. It's really tough to win against that kind of stuff. So if they're agents of disruption, then you could write the coattails of this kind of movement and make some money on stocks, in my opinion. But uh, you will, in a sense, be undermining the purpose of what it is that they're doing. And you may be acting against your own self-interest in that if they do want to disrupt the economic system, which we know can't last forever, statistically, then you might make some money, but I'm not sure it would be, you know, like there's proud money, money that you've earned and you sweated for and you deserve. And then there's money like, oh yeah, these guys are really trying to do a revolution. I'm not gonna help them, but I'm gonna profit from it and help the enemy. I'm not sure that that would be squeaky clean money in your conscience, if that makes any sense. Yeah, to totally does. Um, I, I remember that that thought I'd lost here. It is it's relevant to this. Um, I follow Bruce Fenton, who is someone who's been uh, he was on Wall he was in Wall Street for twenty for twenty years, um, and he was also part of the Bitcoin Foundation. I think he maybe even started it. I want to say back in 2011, 2012, something like that. So he's been intimately involved in crypto since the beginning, and he also has decades of experience in Wall Street. Like he grew up around Wall Street, and that's where he, you know, has successfully made his professional life. And as soon as something more moral came along, he jumped into crypto for philosophical liberty, freedom reasons. So you know, he's a good guy. Uh, his take on this situation was in two directions. One, like he's been saying for years that the stock market needs to go to a decentralized uh, system. The stock market needs to be resolved on a blockchain so that it is okay, more secure. Just to say a little bit more about the decentralized stuff. I'm sorry to interrupt your thought, but, but the decentralized, no. you mean like no stock brokerage, no stock brokers, no central place to buy and sell, just anyone can do it. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, a decentralized system would be something essentially like Bitcoin in the sense that no, there is no head of directors, there is no board, there is no company, there is no no uh, individual institution that owns Bitcoin or any blockchain. It is. The wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. No, no board. Wait, no board, no board of directors. Do you mean at the company level? Because then, who would be issuing the shares? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I was, I was uh, referencing Bitcoin in that sense. Like any blockchain, any decentralized system, nobody owns that network. Okay. There's no New so, York Stock Exchange that you have to buy a seat on in order to be able to buy and sell shares. Anybody can do it, right? Yes. Yeah. Like so, with Bitcoin, uh, you don't need. You don't go to the Bitcoin Stock Exchange and talk to a registered Bitcoin buyer and seller to blah blah blah, right? Precisely, or to transact it. As a matter of fact, if you had the means, you could transact it yourself. You could process the transactions yourself. Uh, and so you could do the same thing with uh, issuing and resolving stocks, which actually Bruce Fitton uh, did become part of uh, the Ravencoin project, which does this itself. It's, it was a cryptocurrency made for uh, issuing and transacting securities. And it's not a very complicated system and situation. It is it's not that complicated to, to handle this. Um, and so his big take on this was, since he's been championing this for years, he's like, look, and, and especially when uh, these companies went in and did their shady things, he's like, you just, you can't trust this anymore. Like, this is a great betrayal of 
you know, this stock system I took part in for years, like the way they're, they're handling this. Um, and so essentially and the way I would take that is that crypto is the, the play to make, whether, whether if you want to make moral money and money in general in a much safer fashion, crypto would be the play to make because that's where this stuff will get settled on in the future, that technology. Eventually, the stock market will be resolved on a blockchain, just like our well, money. Well, let, uh, let me give you a, a, another layer to that strategy. And again, none of this is any recommendations. These are just my thoughts on, on the Absolutely. issue, right? So what if, if you really want to, there's a, there's a case to be made that if you really want to drive up the value of Bitcoin or cryptos, that you should join the Redditors in storming <laughs> the shorts of Wall Street, right? Yeah. Because as you destabilize the stock market, more money will take refuge. Well, where, where is it going to take refuge? Well, is it going to take refuge in the stock, in real estate, right? So there's a bunch of traditional places, the safe havens, right? Real estate, precious metals, maybe some basket of commodities, uh, oil or whatever it is, right? Uh, so traditionally, when people are afraid that the financial system is becoming a part of the seams, they go to real estate or precious metals. Just say, those are the two main ones. And in precious metals, we can include that basket of commodities thing, which is all generally tied to some fixed asset uh, that's hard to produce or whatever, like, like oil. So where, where do you go? Well, gold, I think, would have been the traditional place to gold, and that, of course, uh, to go. And that's the case that people like Peter Schiff and, and others have made. But um, being tracking gold, the seizure of gold that's happened on a regular basis throughout human history, it makes people a bit nervous and also if there are better places to go in the world, it's hard to move gold, but it's easy to move uh, crypto uh, and so on. And again, follow all the laws, but that's my understanding. So, um, so the other place that people would put their money if there's institutional or systemic disruptions in stocks is to go into real estate. But I'm not entirely positive about the real estate thing at the moment for, for a couple of reasons. One, um, this is... Not so much the case in America, but because there's going to be this legalization of probably 20 to 30 million uh, people or path to citizenship in time for the next election. But the value of real estate has been driven up by mass migration. Mass migration is an increasingly tough sell in a COVID lockdown environment, right? Like people are out of work, they're locked in their homes, but hey, let's, and, and you know, we got to close the borders, but let's let a million people in to, to, come and work when there's no jobs and everyone's locked at home, right? So if mass migration takes a hit through the COVID lockdowns, which I think it will in many places, then the value of real estate is going to go down because it is the mass migration that has been, it, the baby bust has been filled up in terms of demand for real estate through mass migration, which could be slowing down or perhaps even stopping for a while in certain areas. And, um, and of course, a lot of the power that the governments want has been given to them by COVID as opposed to the slow trickle of people voting for the left who tend to come in from other cultures and other countries through mass migration. So they kind of got what they need without the mass migrants. But I think that real estate is going to become a problem. And uh, if the hard left begins to gain more power, they don't tend to have any respect for property rights. And so um, there, is, uh, there is that concern. And so if like, the more destabilized the stock market gets, I think it's fair to say, the higher value crypto will be. And so if you join in the Redditors in destabilizing, in other words, you're willing to burn some money on these short things, you might make more money through cryptos than you lose through following the Redditors in the charge to the short squeeze, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I, I would say if you want to plant a crop to go into crypto, if you want to go to war, join the Redditors, you know, depending on where your life is at, you know, that's because as you were mentioning earlier, uh, people that have nothing to lose, you know, the situation they're in. Well, what if their their lives are miserable and they are in pain every day and that's what they have to lose? Like that, that is kind of an inspiration for self-sacrifice. If, if you're just, oh, you mean like anything is better than this. Like, like Andy Kaufman late in his illness, just going to Mexico to voodoo doctors or whatever, like anything is better than what I've got. No, worse than that. Death is worse than this, or, or sorry, death is better than this. That's why like self-sacrifice is kind of a, a positive proposition. Yeah, I, I think that most of them, they probably thought that life wasn't worth living until they took on Wall Street and won. And now they're incredibly <laughs> flush with probably the first major success they've ever had in their life. And I say that with no hint of contempt or negative judgment. Like, I mean, I didn't Absolutely. think of it. And then they've done a lot of, I think they've done a lot of good in exposing and this, because the system, because the stock system is so based upon the exploitation of weakness and ignorance, when you have, and I hate calling them autists because you know that's that's uh, I think an insult to to I think a lot of the real brilliance that's going on there. But you know the Borg mind of people who have but one mission, they're going to scour because the whole stock system is set up to exploit ignorance and exclusivity and you know wrinkles. In, in whatever, right? So they're going to be scouring this whole system. And, you know, of course, the obvious thing is to look for shorts, but they'll look for a whole bunch of other things. Maybe they will target silver at some point. But you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who've got their first dopamine hit from victory who want more. And they're going to be scouring the entire system. And these guys can do this, you know, 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day uh, on the steady conveyor belt attendees, as far as I understand it. But um, <laughs> they are going to be scouring the system for any weakness. And the system has not faced that ever. I mean, there's been a competing system, which is crypto, but crypto hasn't been sniffing out for all the weaknesses of the existing fairly corrupt fiat slash stock market system. So uh, I do think that uh, in, in the decentralized, highly committed ideological hive mind of the Redditors versus the politically connected, but complacent to, to a large degree and, and never having faced this kind of attack before mainstream Wall Street people, you know, where, where do you put your money, so to speak? Well, I think that there's a case to be made when you look throughout history that people closer to the state get soft and lazy, right? You think of sort of me versus a government teacher, right? I mean, so people who are get closer to the state get soft and lazy, entitled, uh, belligerent, and they tend to be brutal and heavy-handed in their responses because they're not nimble enough to – and they, they, they can't fix the cracks in the system because cracks is the whole way they make money, right? <laughs> so to, to fix the cracks in the system is to cut themselves out of an income to a large degree, right? So I don't know. I, don't know. I think it's – interesting to see. They, they, they do seem to be holding. They, they do seem to be pretty driven. And I think it's also given people who, you've got to remember too, people are pretty isolated these days. And we are a tribal species. And I'm really, really impressed by the, the hold, the age of hold on for your life strategies, right? Like they, these guys who've been pretty isolated through video games, through pornography, through lockdowns, through shutdowns, through lack of job opportunities, through not feeling a future, they're now part of a team. Like, that's incredibly heady for people. And as far as like, well, do I want $1,000, which doesn't get me anything, doesn't, you know, maybe have me buy a couple of copies of Cyberpunk or something like that, but doesn't really get <laughs> me anything. 
Or do I want the thrill of victory in taking down people I perceive to be pretty malevolent and be part of a team, be part of an army, be part of a movement? That's incredibly heavy. And this movement is probably supplanting the MAGA movement. And I know some people are trying to move to, to sort of take over the GOP uh, in a similar sort of vein. And now that the stuff about what is it? Weaver and Lincoln Project is coming out. I mean, the level of moral disgust at the GOP, I think rightly so, is, is pretty high. So I think, you know, if these guys, if you were to say to these guys, well, you know, you can keep a little bit of this funny money stimulus stuff, but you lose your thrill of victory, you lose your moral crusade, you lose your camaraderie, you lose your companionship, you lose your army, you lose your tribe. I mean, no one's going to take that deal or very few people, I think. And some people will cash out. And then what they'll do is they'll say, you know what? I missed the fight. I missed the excitement. I missed the camaraderie. So I've cashed out, and that's given me more money to put into the next one because yeah. they'll miss all of that. And I think that's highly motivated for people. Uh, a, a, a thought on the uh, real uh, my lived experience with investing in real estate. So I got tired of waiting on crypto to go back up. And I decided I wanted to buy a property and develop, uh, fix it up and, you know, let that be my home and maybe, you know, uh, rent out because it's a multi-unit. Um, and as I've, I've looked at that uh, and, and then thought like, okay, this is pretty successful so far. Let me move on to the next one. I, without missing a beat, had that thought as soon as Biden won, like the country is headed in a socialist direction. You know, do I really want to be somebody owning multiple properties, like, you know, I could, it could get taken away, like, you know, or you're the first person targeted in society, you know, you're, you're one of the fat capitalists. Uh, let's, or let's or when you have, when you have a Biden administration, or you have a Democrat administration, uh, they're generally going to side with tenants over landlords. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. there's going to be a lot of preferential legislation. There's going to be a lot of you can't evict people. There's going to be a lot of people feeling they can do whatever they want to your property. There's no repercussions. And you can see this already, of course, with um, people being unable to be evicted, even if they're not paying rent. And of course, the landlords yep. still have to pay their bills. So it's not just, you know, is the property going to be threatened? But if they empower, I, I know that uh, under Obama, and I assume this will continue under uh, Biden, there's going to be a move to get poorer people into more middle class neighborhoods. And that yeah. could really wreck property values and uh, it'll cause people to abandon those neighborhoods because they're concerned about maybe violence in schools or something like that. So I don't know. Real estate is a real dice roll for me. Again, no advice. It's just my thought. I think real estate is a real dice roll at the moment. And uh, I think a combo punch of Reddit support plus cryptos uh, seems not, not the worst thing to, to think about. Yeah. I, I've already seen properties on the market that were – very affordable, had and already had multiple tenants in the properties paying rent to where, like in, in any other time, like back in, you know, yeah, in any other time, this would have been a no-brainer. You buy this and you're making money already, like hand over fist. Um, and I look at that and, and I'm like, okay, well, why am I not buying it? Oh, yeah, because I can't evict those people right now. You know, if I wanted to try to evict them in COVID, it's a nightmare. So, like, yeah, at least on paper, it looks like a good deal. But the reality is, uh, it's, you know, I know, th I know that's my personal decision why I chose not to purchase what would have been a no-brainer in the past. Right. Now, you and I have been talking a lot. And, and I, you know, if it's valuable to other people, fantastic. But I did want to make sure that we had room for, for other people's thoughts about this kind of stuff. If there's something you wanted to add or, or subtract or <laughs> contribute, I'd, I'd be thrilled to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to take a step back. Thank you so much, Steph. Oh, thank you, brother. Great, great info.
Yeah, no, I'll, I'll just make a quick note. I know I'm up here in Canada and we have the same issue where a couple of my friends have issues with landlords and the tenant board's been closed for over a year now. So the tenant board, so do you want to break that out so people know what you mean? Yeah, so so here in order to evict somebody, you have to first get a court order from the landlord tenant board and it's been on hold since March last year, March, February, so nothing you can do. So you can't evict anyone for, for anything, uh, no, including property not, damage, I assume, no, the only or thing illegal you can activity? Claim, or? Yeah, the only thing you can claim is illegal activity, but even that, that's kind of tough to prove. Well, and the courts are moving at a snail's pace now too, right? Well, they, yeah, they closed. Um, they opened temporarily about a month or so ago and then was shut down again with this most recent shutdown. So. Yeah, so real estate is, uh, is dicey, again, other than maybe personal residences that you're going to use or whatever, but I don't know that people are going to feel that real estate is, is the way to go. I think the automatic rise in real estate may be uh, diminished to some degree. Uh, all right, is there anything, did you want to add more? Or is there anyone else, anyone else who wanted to add, add stuff? Hey, I just wanted to pop in real quick. Um, as far as real estate, uh, it's probably owned a lot by the boomers. And considering that they own most of the real estate and the government handers to them a lot, do you think that'll uh, at least keep real estate somewhat safe in the short term? Well, but the boomers, in terms of real estate ownership, it's a difference between personal homes or not, right? So the, I don't think the, I mean, the government's not going to come in and start taking away the boomers' personal homes, but we're talking about real estate as an investment. And as an investment, that generally means, I mean, obviously there's the two big categories, there's commercial and residential, right? Commercial real estate is a hollowed out monstrosity compared to where it was a year, a year and a half ago, right? Because people are all working from home and the cities have hollowed out. And, uh, you know, once, once people have made this big adjustment to working from home, it's going to be pretty tough, if at all possible, to get them back into working in a centralized office location. And so once people have solved all the problems of remote work, and there are considerable problems of remote work, then the, the, the commercial real estate is going to collapse. I mean, as far as office space, I mean, there'll still be some people and, and all of that. It's not going to vanish. But in my view, uh, the demand for commercial real estate post-COVID is not going to rebound in the way that it is. You know, like when there's a, a recession, there's a lot of deferred spending. Oh, we'd like to get a new TV, but we can't afford it. We'd like to get a new car, but we'll just pour money into the one we have or whatever. We'll just drive it for another six months or whatever. So there's a lot of pent up spending that then gets unleashed when the recession is over. And, and that's what you kind of build for in, in your business. And uh, I don't think that's the case with commercial real estate. I think that people are going to adapt to working from home. And uh, certainly when the kids go back to school, it'll be easier to work from home. And the amount of money that gets saved, again, I, I, I had to foot bills for commercial real estate when I was in the business world. And I mean, it's, it can be mind bogglingly expensive. And also, people dislike commuting so much that, uh, and again, the technology, the Zooms, they'll just find ways to, to try and get people to be as productive in-house as they are um, at, at home. So I don't think post-COVID there's a big pent-up demand for commercial real estate that there would be if it was just a recession. So in a recession, people say, well, I won't start the business. And then when the recession ends, people say, oh, I'm going to start this business. They rent a bunch of real estate, commercial real estate and all that. I don't think in terms of office space in particular, I mean, there's some businesses that you have to have people in like factories where people make stuff. You've got to write that's. But in terms of just office space and having people in the same general environments, I think most of the productivity problems 
either have been solved or will be solved by the end of, of the lockdowns, if they in fact ever end, <laughs> who knows, right? But um, so as far as commercial real estate goes, uh, that's pretty bad. Uh, I talked about that with Peter Schiff uh, just, just last week. Now, as far as um, residential real estate, so there's residential real estate that people use for their own personal houses, and that's not really investment. That's just home ownership, right? And you can make money from it, but it's not fundamentally an investment. But people who are investing in real estate, who are investing in residential real estate, it's you know apartment buildings or, or houses they would rent out and so on. I think the concern there is that you have a, a, a leftist government's in power, you have COVID, you have uh, sympathy to people on the street, and, and so you just can't evict people, and they won't be, even if they don't pay rent, and, and you can't really survive. So commercial office space, I think, is, is kind of toast for however long it's going to be, in, in my opinion. Residential real estate, okay, so this, in terms of investment, where's the money going to go? Uh, if stocks become unstable or the whole stock market becomes unstable, where's money going to go? I don't think it's going to go a lot into in the middle of a pandemic where people can't pay rent and you can't evict them. I just don't see money going into real estate investments that that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And even as far as commercial real estate, um, if people don't want to lease out those buildings, commercial, a lot of those commercial spaces may turn which increases by bringing down rents for uh, residential real estate. I'm sorry, you just cut out there for a second. Could you repeat that last statement? Oh, yeah. Uh, commercial spaces may be converted into residential spaces, which would bring down the rents for residential. Well, it could be. It, it certainly, they'll have to do something with those spaces, I assume. But converting them to commercial real estate at a time, again, where you can't Unless you sell them as condos, right? If you sell them as condos, there's a whole different set of rules that apply. And that, that may certainly be the case, that they would convert them. Yeah, that will drive down the value of condos as a whole. But you certainly wouldn't be converting them to rental units because, again, you can't evict people who aren't paying rent. I assume that would not be top of people's lists. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Doug. All right. Good. And sorry, if there's more you want to add, please do. If there's anyone else who wants to jump in, uh, that would be great, too. I would like to make uh, two small points. Here in Europe, commercial... We don't allow small points on this show, only giant <laughs> mem... Okay, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll draw it out before analogies. Um, here in Europe, commercial real estate is taking a giant beating. The only thing that is keeping the, keeping the commercial real estate companies' prices up is they are um, registering the capital gains on their commercial real estate as income, not as uh, rent income, which is very destructive because as soon as you try to oh, sell sorry. your- Oh, you sorry, you lost me there. I'm so sorry. The, ca the capital gains on their rental income for commercial real estate? Um, so, all right. So they have a bunch of offices and they go up in value, just not rent income. They rent income, they just go up in value and it increases their asset balance. Yes, but not during COVID, right? Oh, well, they are going up due to COVID because of all the money printing. Partly. But there's much, I assume there's much less demand even in Europe for in-person office real estate, right? Yeah, the demand is crazy. The rent is dropping. There's vacancies, but they, they just keep, I mean, it might have something to do with um, the appraisers getting a, getting a bribe. So this may not necessarily be market prices, but this is like book value. Book uh, value, estimated exactly. value of the office space. Yeah. 
And that's okay, okay, sorry. I just wanted to make sure we didn't have yeah. a, a case where prices were going up during a significantly lower demand phase and, and the laws of economics were being violated. Okay, so this yeah. is just estimated value in the same way that the government says, oh, your real estate has gone up in value because we can property tax you more or whatever. So it's just an estimated value rather than pure market. Is that right? Exactly. I might have misspoke okay, a little bit. Because no, no, I just, thing... I just want to make sure I, I follow what you're saying. So uh, please bear right. with me. Go ahead. Great. So the problem with that is, is as soon as you try to sell them, of course, you're going to be subject to market prices and the income of your company drops dramatically. The asset sheets drop, the mat, drop, drop dramatically. Then your stock price is just nonsensical. So all those companies are, are suffering a lot and taking on more debt. And um, it's, uh, yeah, you had a call and show with someone from South Africa. Very sad to hear about that. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it got worse for him after the call, but he's, he's okay oh, now. No. But sorry, go ahead. So I met some people who had a company in South Africa about 20 years ago, and they left after they were forced to give a part of their company to black share owners. And I was wondering, maybe with all this diversity in America, maybe they'd start like redistributing the 401ks to different racial groups. They might, but uh, for, for certain, they're, they're redistributing uh, board seats, they're redistributing... Um, high-paying, high-value jobs by demanding these diversity quotas, right? Like I think in it was in in California, like half of the board members have to be women now, and so on. And so, whether it's the actual physical shares or simply the high-value occupations, I mean that redistribution has been going on for for many years, uh, exactly. artificially raising the prices, uh, or artificially raising the wages of people who vote for the left, the minorities, and and uh, women, and so on. Yeah, that's been going on for a long, and it may get more direct as well. But that probably won't be for some time because for South Africa, they really had to wait until blacks became a fairly significant majority. And, and then it kind of went, uh, kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, the, the thing I was thinking about that, that could throw an enormous wrench into investing if they make it worse than it already is. But will America stay intact long enough for that to be viable? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, secession is a whole other topic, but... Uh, it would be the highest value states that would most want to secede. And as the highest value states, the incentive for the federal government to let them secede would be the most negative, right? In other words, they would not want to let the most valuable and profitable states go, but it would be those who'd want to most uh, leave. So uh, who knows? Uh, that would probably not be anything too particularly civilized should it ever get off the ground. And, and certainly there will be that that impulse um but to me it's all a race against the destabilization of the financial system that seems to be underway and um so we'll yeah we'll see we'll see i don't know we'll see what the hell would happen to the stock markets in a secession like that's crazy <laughs> well what would happen to the stock markets in a secession and this is another reason why a secession would be so highly opposed but what would happen to the stock markets in a secession would be that let's say Texas, right? It could be Wyoming, could be any, right? Let's say Texas. It's not going to be Hawaii. It's a welfare state, right? But um, and let's say that uh, Texas wants to secede, and let's say it looks like it's actually going to happen. It would be kind of similar to Alberta and Canada. So then what would happen is uh, Texas would say, gosh, you know, we don't have to pay all this federal stuff. This in, in Alberta, they wouldn't be part of this whole redistributionist plan that generally goes to Quebec. Uh, and so they would say, okay, what are the odds that taxes would be a more friendly business environment should it be able to secede and not have to pay the overhead of redistributionist stuff through the um, 
the federal government. And of course, it would no longer be on the hook for defense spending for America as a whole. Uh, and therefore, it would only have to spend money on its own defense. And given how well-armed Texans are, I don't think anyone's going to invade there anytime soon. So uh, I think that people would look and say, OK, what the overhead of government is going to go down enormously. They're pretty committed to free markets. Uh, they can control their own borders now. Uh, and they can have a sane immigration policy if they allow any, any immigration at all in particular. And so I think that you would see a huge amount of capital move towards that kind of environment in the same way that you know, capital moved to Hong Kong, not China, for, for many years when China was more totalitarian, even though it's still pretty damn totalitarian. But uh, I, I think that there would be a capital outflow to the more business-friendly environments, which is kind of why um, they would also want to oppose that, because it would take away value from the rest of the country, as they would see. Exactly. Great point. Thanks. All right. Anybody else? Speak now. Speak now. Going once going twice. Well, let me, let me just ask you this. Did you guys, uh, you don't have to speak. You can just throw it in the, in the chat. Did you find this uh, valuable? Did you find this uh, useful, interesting? Should we try and make this a regular-ish kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Unless everybody fell asleep, in which case. This is great. <laughs> that may be the answer. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you I guys really... do this more regularly. You're doing, I, I think so. I mean, let's let's work to keep each other informed about these kinds of things because, I mean, Lord knows I think about them a lot and uh, I think it's uh, it's fun to chew, chew this stuff over. So um, yeah. if it's valuable and it's useful, um, I think that would be great. Let's uh, see if we can, uh, maybe not middle of the day kind of thing, but maybe we can set up something on a more on a more regular basis. Yeah. yeah. I, really and I guess enjoy we would talk the... of like... Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no. Yeah, we did talk of, say, if Texas wanted to separate that kind of brought up my thoughts about what happened with Catalonia and Spain. I know you did that presentation a couple of years ago. Right, right, or Yugoslavia for that matter, right? So, okay. All right, well, uh, good, good. Well, give me, give me your feedback in, in the chat and uh, let's um, toss this out to the board and see what people think. Uh, I, think it's, I, I think it's fun, I think it's interesting. And um, I think it's stuff that we all need to be kind of aware of. And, you know, we're, we're a whole lot smarter together than we are necessarily separately. So I appreciate everyone's time today. Have yourselves a fantastic afternoon. Bye. Talk to you soon.